0: So, um, the reason we're going through the leader's manual is we're at a stage in the life cycle of our church where we had, so we planted with about 30 so people, 35, maybe not nearly as many kids. I think there were five kids total when we planted and, uh, we've expanded quite a bit. Um, and so it's always important, um, You know, this whole idea of identifying leaders, releasing leaders, splitting home groups is just as crucial as, um, I mean, to the ongoing life of our church. It's just as crucial as, you know, bringing in new people, discipling people. It's all part of the same process. And it's, it's a part of the process that can easily get neglected and what happens is exactly what happened to Moses you get stuck with a few people taking care of a lot of things and wherever there's growth <laughs> i start to i rejoice but then i start to get nervous because i start you know I, I don't want all of that to just center in on a few people you know all of the all of the new needs and and Cares that that the leaders of the people of God need to handle. Um, so it's just it's a recurring thing in the body to need to stop and say, who's the next person up? Who who is going to uh, begin to care for uh, the flock? And we always need to be doing that. And it it happens within the home groups. That's the that's the kind of the primary place it happens. A home group leader will work be working with a few guys to take care of the home group, and then <clears> they'll <throat> become assistants, and then eventually they'll. Um, multiply a home group um, but it's also good to have I thought it would be good to have everyone just to seed all of these thoughts it's the way that we do this, the way that we think through this stuff to all the men in the church um, because I, I think everyone is almost every guy in here is ready to take a next step in, in leadership at least um, and and to become part of the the team that's caring for the new folks that are coming in. So we, we've we've planted, we've, we've grown a bit in the first few years, and we need to be preparing for the next stage of growth, because I really do think God wants to, to reach a lot of people through our church, and there, we have a lot of opportunities sort of out there um, for uh, evangelism and discipleship, some of the things we talked about last month, that bread and butter work of the work of the ministry, right, that, everybody, that everybody's involved in. This is another key part of it, that, that we identify leaders, uh, people who have been, <coughs> who have responded to the gospel, who have been discipled, and are now ready to um, take care of others. So this chapter is about how you identify those people. And I think it's good for everyone to know, because, you know, obviously, what's the, uh, what's the first habit of highly effective people? To begin with the end in mind. You know, this is where we're all headed. Uh, and uh, I really do believe that everyone needs to end up playing a key part of... Every man in the, in the body needs to end up playing a key part of, of leadership. It doesn't mean that every man will lead the same. This chapter talks about difference in innate ability. You know, people have different personalities, different capacities. So not everyone needs to be Billy Henderson or whatever. But everyone does need to be engaged in the work at that level to, to whatever capacity they're able. So, this just talks about the the, the qualities of leadership. <clears throat> and I do want to, I do think that that passage in, in Exodus is really important. So, I'm going to read it. It's in, uh, I think, 18. So, they've come out of Egypt. And uh, Moses has been dealing with the people. um, To uh, you know, they keep grumbling against him, and then so he's stuck with all these people. They all have they all have their relational problems, and uh, so he would just sit and all day he would judge between it was like civil disputes, civil court, and uh, all day he was trying to get people to figure out who was right and who was wrong.
1: That's yep. like a literal all day. That's like how many one point four million? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Focused. It's not like figuratively
0: all day. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, I think the wait was a little longer than the DMV yeah. at, at that point. Is <laughs> lined up around around the camp. Yeah, it says. Uh... <clears throat> Uh, Next day, Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. (laughs) When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Um, and I think there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, there's some rich wisdom in here, but one of the things is that Moses didn't have within himself, he wasn't the judge, he was bringing people to the word and judging them by what the word said. And so that's not something that only Moses can do, right? Because the word of God is the word of God. And the chapter talks about a lot of the importance of knowing the word of God and leadership. But that is here too, right? He was making the people to know the will of God, and that's something outside of one particular person. <clears throat> and Moses said to his father-in-law, "Okay, so I decide between one person and another." His father-in-law just said, "What you're doing is not good. It, you and the people you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. <coughs> now obey my voice." I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God, and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people, as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And that's a place where people's different capacities or maturity levels come into play. Some are able to handle a thousand need to handle uh, the hundreds, fifties, and tens. <clears throat> and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easy for you, and they will bear the burden with you. So that's a constant thing that we need to be doing as men, as we disciple people, as we work together to bring people in. At some point, we need to train and release people to do the same things that we're doing, and I'll just say, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think that this is this is the hardest part of discipleship is releasing someone. Um, but I, I, in a lot of ways, it's it's the it's the most important part. Um, it's not really it's not really complete until this happens, right? It hasn't re- you haven't really discipled someone until they are not able to carry the same kind of, of work that, that you have so it puts it in a different perspective you know um, it's one thing to get two or three people to you know come over and study the bible and, and you kind of create this dynamic but it's another thing to, to engage that person on a level where you're helping them orient their whole life around the same work that, <laughs> that you're doing and then you're beginning to uh, entrust them with that work and and join them in it. So it's a a very hard point um, for a lot of different reasons. And I think it's really important for us to always keep this in mind, that we've got to look. These are the qualities that we're looking for. These are the qualities that we want to um, invest in and and develop. Uh, We're not looking for a lot of buzz and a lot of activity. We're looking for able men um, who want to do this. Now, we will have a lot of buzz and a lot of activity. We're going to be involved in all kinds of ministry, ministering to all sorts of different people. Um, But Jesus, in all of the things that he did in his ministry, what his center was, was his disciples and working with them, teaching them about the kingdom, and entrusting the work to them. And... For us, to, for us to do what, we, what we're called to do, in planting churches, this is, this is crucial. Um, for a church that just is growing bigger and bigger and bigger so it can support bigger and bigger things, this step doesn't really happen that often, right? As soon as you get to the level of leadership, you hire it out. And so then you have a lot of people and you bring more money in so that your budget is bigger so you can hire more professionals to come do this stuff. This, that's not what we do, right? We develop this kind of character in the people we're discipling and then release them to, to take on the work. Does that make sense? So we cannot, <clears throat> we cannot plant churches unless we do this. That's why we always say when we split home groups, yeah, it's about numbers. Like you don't just – a large home group, you need to think about splitting. But you don't split until you have mature leadership in place. Same thing with the church. You don't just, all right, we're at 250, time to plant a church. You don't just send out (laughs) a group of people. You have to send out a, a, a leader who has a team of leaders, and they've been working together and walking together, and that's a church. So, yes, the church is everybody. But the real core of the church is the leadership of the church, is the people whose lives are given to one another and given to the work together. And that's, that's how you plant churches and that's how you multiply home groups. So that's why it's important for us to understand, first of all, do we have these qualities? You know, are we, are we moving toward these kinds of qualities of leadership? And second of all, everyone that we're working with, are we bringing them in and, and spurring them on toward this stuff? Um, Moses' father-in-law I think his words to Moses need to constantly loom over our lives what are you doing <laughs> You know, you, why are you scrambling around trying why are you doing all the stuff you need to bring other people into this work and entrust them to do the work um, so sometimes it feels really nice you feel very useful when you're just buried in stuff but sometimes that's bad and sometimes it's hindering the whole body from from growing in the way that it needs to. Does that make sense? So it's a weird thing. You want to teach people and you yourself want to just pour yourself out for others and for the work of the church. Right? We talk about that a lot. Orienting your whole life. Pouring yourself out. But you get to a certain point where that is actually entering, and it's it's you can serve all you want, and but you're limited. But if you taught ten people how to serve in that same way, then you go way way beyond it. <coughs> so it talks about the the qualities of these men. Uh, and it, it talks. <coughs> he's the, the important point is that ability is just a very small part of. Ability is, is important, but it's, he says there's like three or four um, qualities, and ability is just one of them, just one-fourth of the formula. I then he talks about how ability is, um, there is some inherent ability, there's some imparted ability, that would be like anointing or, or gifting, and then there's uh, developed ability, meaning here's what your inherent ability is, and you can move you know, everybody can grow from where they are to another step. But what's not the same in everyone is, is inherent ability. But everyone can progress from where they are. Everyone can grow and develop from where they are. <clears throat> uh, the example of an imparted ability is uh, when... Solomon, it gets you know, he's he's the king and he asks the Lord for wisdom. I need wisdom to help me rule this people. God says, All right, I will give you wisdom. It was something he didn't have and that God gave to him for the sake of, of ruling the people. Um <clears throat> and then it goes on to talk about the uh, Kind of the motives of, of leading, and it talks about this first Peter passage, which I'll read. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Um, I love that passage. Um, it cuts through all of, the, all of the negative pressures of leadership. And it says, hey, why, why are we doing this? Um, so first of all, <clears throat> Feeding the flock of God, which is among you, taking oversight thereof. So feeding really does come down to uh, leading people, as Psalm 23 says, leading them to where there's good food. And for us, that's you know, primarily the word of God. We lead people to where they can. We don't we don't just give them <laughs> treats to keep them to following us around. They're not dogs, right? That we train with treats. Here, if you if you follow me around, I'll give you this treat. No, we we participate with God in shepherding these people, which means that we know where the pastures are, and we lead the sheep there. Now we can't, we don't make them eat, but we direct them to where the food that they need is, and it's in the Word of God. It's not, it's not in us. It's not from us, it's, it's from the word of God. Like Moses, he would, he would judge the cases by making known the will of God. <coughs> so feeding the sheep and then oversight is uh, another shepherding idea where you can see potential dangers. Maybe there's a wolf coming or maybe there's a, little, a stray going away from the group, or there's a vulnerability somewhere, or there's rocky terrain ahead, right? Being able to, to to see where the sheep are and see what's coming so that you can do something about that situation, that's oversight, being aware of potential dangers. Oversight is not, um, <clears throat> it's not like being the foreman on a job and giving everybody jobs and then going back into the office, um, it really is the kind of, of Vigilance, the vigilance and, and care that a shepherd has over his flock. Right? So you feed the flock and you watch, you watch over the flock. That's, that's the idea of, of
1: leading. Uh, man, that was I read that last night. That was like one of the like, that was a huge shift in my mind. Exactly what you just said. I'd heard the word overseer my entire life. Yeah. You're always the boss. Yeah, you know, and it's like the concept of being an overseer is like made me think of that movie um, American Sniper. You know, you sit up there and just watch for bad guys that are going to yeah. really try to ambush the scene. You know, and you're like, it, there's a there's a peril coming from this direction. Not like a, I'm in charge of everybody. I have to tell everybody what to do. Yeah. And so like, I'm I'm looking out for this group and then yeah, thinking about a shepherd getting up on a little vantage point where they can see their flock and see kind of all all yeah. ways around them to protect it. it was a, that's
0: a huge shift in my mind. Yep. Yeah, and there's several places in the prophets where it gets on the leaders of Israel for, for being bad shepherds. And basically it says that um, they're not feeding the flock. They're just getting fat themselves. They're not feeding the people of God with quality food. And they're not lifting up their voice uh, to warn for danger. And God condemns the leaders of Israel many times for being bad shepherds. And so it is feeding and, it, and protecting. It's much more of a protective word. It's not a, it's an overseer. You, you see the situation. You don't, it's not a looker downer. You know, <laughs> you don't just, oh yeah, I, you know the, the, the plebes down there. Um, you you are interested in the flourishing of of the people that you oversee. <clears throat> so that's the kind of the general role and then the motives. Um, not by constraint, but willingly. And I love how they spend some time talking about the different kinds of constraint that can that can come to bear. Um, I think just being in a church like this inherently brings a level of constraint you feel a little bit of a pressure to to perform in a certain way or to, to look a certain way and uh, that should never be behind why you know why we lead or the way that we lead mm-hmm. you can wrestle through that and that's fine and that's something that you, know, you need to work out between you and God it's um, I think that boils down to just being a little bit too man centered. You know, wanting to do things to be seen in a certain way, and that's something that needs to die uh, before you're ready to lead, and then continually as you lead. <laughs> um, so the willing heart. There's no constraint. Um, it's if there's any constraint, it's from it's from pure love, right? As Christ, as Paul said, that the the love of Christ <laughs> compels us. That should be the constraint. If there's any other constraint. Or, or compelling force, it um, should be done away with. Because really, that it's 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 bad for you, but it's even worse for the people that you lead under constraint. Because you'll you'll get frustrated with them because they're going to be hindering you from achieving what you were setting out to achieve, <laughs> right. uh, I mean, just think of. <laughs> Just think if Jesus was was after his reputation, you know, gaining some clout with the with the religious leaders, or the Pharisees. You know, yeah, I know the word, I I know how to do this thing too. You guys think he did, he did it all wrong if that was his motive, right? I mean, he he basically did everything wrong uh, if he was trying to build his reputation among the religious elite. It's not how he lived his life, um, and he got frustrated with his disciples not because they were making him look bad, <laughs> but because they were continuing in their immaturity and he wanted them to, to progress and move on. <clears throat> so with a willing heart, not by constraint. And not for filthy or So you, there's, no, there's, no, um, there's no expectation of repayment. Right, this is another thing like, like filthy lucre it's a great um, it just sounds so much worse than expecting to be repaid uh, but it is it's it's <clears throat> if we are leading out of a place that somewhere in the back of our mind I'm gonna get something out of this if that's anywhere then again we're gonna we're gonna harm the people that we're leading more than we More than we're caring for them. Um, Jesus tells the Pharisees uh, Woe to you, Pharisees, who travel land and sea to make one proselyte. They're very driven people. It's like, and then in the end, you make them twice the devil that you are. (laughs) Going out is not the point. Getting your numbers up is not the point, right? We don't want a bunch of second second generation devils running around because you decided that hey, what I need to boost my reputation is a few hundred disciples around here. Right? Or one that's funny is <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of times the advice to a guy who wants to get married is, well, you need to, you need, you need to make a few disciples because that really does in you some of the key skills of, that marriage requires of you. It helps you mature in those things. I'm going to go make some disciples so I can get married, you know. Um, it just doesn't help. It doesn't help the process. And the people that you end up discipling can see right through it. <clears throat> so not for personal gain, but eager of a ready mind. I, I, I want to do this. This is, I, I have no expectation of, of return. I'm going to do this. <clears throat> um. And it's not just for money, although that's certainly the case in a lot of places, where there's this professional ministry mindset that this is my job, this is my choice of career. Um, But just to have that expectation that, hey, I'm laying my life down for these people, (coughs) so I can ask them and get them to do things for me or anything like that. Or even just wanting <clears throat> affirmation or emotional kickback, or fulfillment from from a person in any way, or or appreciation, right? If if there's any, just man, I really wish that they would do a little something back for me. It's like that's you're not eager, you're not of a ready mind. It's your service to that person is contingent in some way on them reciprocating. Um, they very well may end up reciprocating, and that's a beautiful thing, when, you, you, when people become mutually invested in each other's lives. But starting out, and especially for leaders, that's not that's not how we lead. We don't lead the people that are most likely to be able to repay. Yeah.
2: I just I think one great example of that <coughs> early in my marriage I saw play out. I mean, you know, as a husband, you're the leader. Is when you begin to. Things in relation to your relationship with your wife, with hopes of some reciprocation, you know, yeah. you want some affirmation, it could be affection, interest, yeah. whatever it is, and how corrosive and just yeah. like destructive that is. As yeah. a leader, it ends up really damaging things. You know, yeah. I think what you're talking about is easy to play out in other areas of yeah. your life.
0: Yeah. I've seen this meme. It has like three or four panels of some guy just doing all this housework, and then. His wife comes in and says, "All right, how many X did you buy? You know, it's, it's whatever, whatever applies to. you. All right, how many, how many video games did you go buy, or how many, whatever did you, uh, did you buy? You know, he's doing all this stuff for his wife. That's what it is. You know, you don't. That's not of a ready mind. That's filthy Luke. And then the last thing is, is being examples, right? And this gets back to that overseeing is not, um, it's not a professional supervisory role where this person does stuff that I've grown out of doing. Um, no, we all, do, we all do service and we do it together. Thinking you're gonna, no. give us some some truth. Uh, so then, it kind of compiles the uh, the lists in um, 1 Timothy and Titus, which have a little bit of overlap, but there's some uniqueness to each of them. Um, but this is <clears throat> this was a big part of the spread of the church when Paul went around. Establishing churches, he he sent he would send Timothy out and he sent Titus out. And the main part of their job, yeah, it was to get people saved. Yes, it was to, to disciple people. But a big part of the job that Timothy and Titus had was identifying leaders, qualifying leaders. Look for these kinds of guys, put them in place. And this gets back to the a, a bigger picture of the way that God sets up His church, the 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 kind of structure, the authority that God. Places within his church um, doesn't come from a professional degree. It doesn't come from seminary. It comes from a kind of life. Uh, Now, seminary can help move you on. I don't know anything bad to say about seminary, but a degree does not qualify you for leadership in the body of Christ. Um, Your life qualifies you. Um, Your character qualifies you. And so uh, Timothy and Titus, sent by Paul, were equipped with these lists. And these are, I think these are just valuable lists for us to know for ourselves. But also just this should shape our our value system for how how we judge people's maturity. You know, this should be what we look at. We shouldn't look. Sometimes someone is, is real charismatic, or they just have this great winsome personality, and we kind of go, "Hey, I think that they might be good for leadership." That's not this value system. They may be like this too, but if we're if our eyes, and, and you know, if our if, if if we are captured by stuff that's not found in these lists, we need to we need to rein that in. And so these lists are important. Um, to, to really shape the way that we think through our own lives and amongst the body. Who is really mature? Who's, who's demonstrating the kind of character that a leader in the body of Christ would have? we am going to have to read through all that. I'll just read this, uh, the compiled list. So self control. Um, Able to teach. And I think, you know, that's not necessarily the gift of teaching and preaching, you know, or like a pastoral teaching gift. It means you've learned the Word of God. You put in some diligent study to the Word. You know, you know the basics of the Word of God and you know how to impart those to other people. You know how to, I would say, you know how to show people around the Word. In a way that connects them to the truth of the word, in a vital way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Able to teach. As someone who's a leader can't be saying, you know, I don't know where Obadiah. Where's that? <laughs> right. I mean, that's not someone who's able to teach. You know, or oh, Leviticus is just so boring. That's not someone who's able to teach, right? That's not someone who values the Word of God. That's someone who just says, <laughs> says those things like everyone else says them. All right? We live our lives by the Word of God. And we know it, and we value it, we cherish it, we understand. Yeah, Leviticus might get a little dry, but we understand its role in the story of Scripture. We understand what, what's the point of Leviticus. Right? We need to be able to... This is the reason why we go through the Bible. <laughs> We went through it in three years. Now we're going through it in five years. Every book that you come to, you should have a basic understanding. This is my goal whenever we go through a book. Is to equip everyone to be able to teach. Right? What's the point of Romans? What's the point of numbers? What do we learn in numbers? Um, We should know that. We should be able, all of us should be able to teach in that way. Um, and it's a process, right? I mean, every time I go through one of those books, I learn something new about, it, and then deeper about the purposes of God. But really, we need to be able to say, "Yeah, we we have, we know," not that we've mastered or we can say everything there is to know. We're not we're not know it alls, but we know the Word of God. We know the story of Scripture. We know why the Gospel of Jesus is such an amazing thing because we've we've seen whole story of what God was doing uh, in the thousands of years leading up to, to sending Jesus all right so able to teach um, not able to regurgitate something that we heard somewhere we've experienced it we've we've learned it we've seen it with our eyes in the eyes of our heart we've experienced scripture we uh, we can communicate that to other people and again, there are different levels of ability here—innate ability. But I think everyone who's been captured themselves with the truth of Scripture is able, in some way, to communicate that to someone else. They're not going to be; doesn't have to be eloquent. It just says able to teach. Amen. <clears throat> uh, not quarrelsome. Not a recent convert. Not overbearing. See, there, that's I think there's overbearing and overseeing is are two totally different things. A lover of good, I think that's an awesome thing. Do you love what's good? Another way of asking it is, is what you love, good? Because <laughs> we all love our heart, you know, we, we love things. We desire things. We esteem things. How much of, how many of those things that we esteem are good? Uh, Discipline. Husband of one wife. Um, that's, the Greek is literally a, a one-woman man. <laughs> a one-woman man. And so I think that, you know, I think even for single people, I think that the the heart behind that is, You understand faithfulness, you understand fidelity, you understand uh, commitment. And that's important as a leader in the body of Christ, because God's a one-woman man. He has a bride, and he's been faithful to her no matter what she's done. And that's the kind of love that he wants uh, people to join him in, in caring for the church. And so someone who has given themselves, has been faithful to their wife, and really, it goes beyond just being together, not getting divorced or whatever. It goes beyond that. It, it's, I am a one-woman man. I've forsaken all others, right? And even, even as a married man, even as technically married for 50 years, he can still kind of not be a one-woman man, right? But this is a guy who, who hasn't just been technically faithful, but whose life has been poured out for one woman no matter who she was or no what she did in return. <clears throat> so again, these I, I think these indicate heart postures more than they are just like boxes that you can objectively check off. But being a one woman man is, is really a whole attitude of, of the heart. Respectable. There is something to be said for your reputation at your job. You know, if you're known as someone who is constantly late or who is uh, all about himself, who's just looking out for him or or, uh, doesn't really pitch in where other people might pitch in a little more, you know, thinks he's all that, that's not how the leaders of God should, that's not the reputation that they should carry. Not that we live for our reputation, but the reputation is a good barometer for our level of maturity. Does that make sense? Because you can be one kind of person at church and in and around church, but you're 40 hours, 50 hours a week on the job. That tells us, I mean, you're not a different person. You're you're the same you, (laughs) wherever you are. And if that aspect of your life is governed by a different value system, then that's going to show. Um, So manage his own family, well, again, this is God's family that we're leading. And so um, just like David, he killed the bear and the lion. Then he was ready for Goliath. You know, he showed the kind of faith in in God and the courage. Your family, (laughs) managing your own household, gives you so many different skills that you need to be able to lead God's family. Sincere, tested, um, hospitable, someone who knows how to open up their home, someone whose life is open to other people. Um, Hospitality is a big deal. Hospitality is not, um, again, hospitality is a, uh, really is a a heart attitude. It's not a um, better homes and gardens spread. has nothing to do with the kind of house that you have or how good of a cook you are. Although serving people like really crappy tasting food might not be the most hospitable thing. <laughs> uh, but hospitality is is a much deeper thing than having a pizza party after church or whatever. Hospitality is is a, is a posture of your life <laughs> And really, in the ancient world, what hospitality meant a lot was loving strangers. Having people who needed a place to to stay, if they come and knock on your door, you let them sleep in your house. That's what hospitality is in the ancient world. The word is actually xenophilia, the love of strangers. It's the opposite of xenophobia, which is the fear of strangers. Right? People that are other, <laughs> you have a you you can relate with them. You're not in you're not inbred. You don't just associate with your own kind. You reach out. You you have people who are different, um, different races, different personalities, different um, income levels, rich people, poor people, black people, white people, whatever, Hispanics. You have a you have a at least a heart and a, and a willingness to open your life to whoever you know that is one thing I liked about when uh, when you guys run Martin Luther King it was like well <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of different people here a lot of opportunities for, for hospitality um, but that's it you know the, the kind of the kind of thinking that says well I think I'll live on Martin Luther King that's that's hospitality. Now, there's there's other considerations, too, like the survival of your children. Get
2: <laughs> you away. Manage your own household well. <laughs> people sometimes demanded the hospitality from the front porch. You know I've got yeah. a lot of people on my yeah. camera recording,
1: sleeping on my porch all night long. Can you claim hospitality if you didn't know they were there? Obviously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, as a, as a father, you need, to, you need to do what's right for your family. Um, but you understand hospitality, you know, we can talk a long time about hospitality, what it is and what it isn't. Um, if you have a particular picture in your head of what it looks like, it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really is a posture. It's an attitude of your life. It's an openness to others. Um, and I would say it, it, <clears throat> it's not even limited to uh, your home. I think you, as an individual, can either be hospitable or inhospitable. You know, how easy is it for people to just if you're, when you're out walking around? How easy is it, for, is it for people to approach you? How easily are you engaged by others? You know, do you look your cashier in the eye? <laughs> that kind of thing. Ugh. Yeah, um, do you do you know your waitress's name before they serve you your food? Those those kinds of things, just outwardness and openness to others, is uh, really the heart of hospitality. Um, not violent, but gentle. Um, so many of these things overlap, like being the husband of one wife, really teaches you to not be violent but to be gentle. (laughs) You understand that you can't strong arm your wife into being a certain way. And that lesson carries over with you and you can't strong arm the church. You can't strong arm young believers into being into stopping their immaturity right now, right? You quit it. Maybe there's a time for that, but you can't violently disciple people. You have to gently and patiently, in the heart of, of long suffering, bear with them, bear their weaknesses, and see them through. Right? Um, not a lover of money. Again, not for not for any kind of kickback. Good reputation with outsiders. Not quick tempered. Right? Stuff happens. You don't. You're not. Uh, you know, all over the the emotional. Um, spectrum when you're dealing with issues. Upright holy, above reproach, you know, there's no like nefarious motives floating around out there. There's no hidden areas. Temperate, not given to drunkenness. Sees that his children obey him, not pursue dishonest gain. And keeps hold of the deep truths. I think uh, I think the ESV says uh, holds fast the mystery of godliness. Um, again, I think a lot of that has to do with the word. You understand the story of God's purposes. And you hold those. You carry those with you. Um, not that you understand. Like, you haven't mastered them, right? We talk a lot about how we don't master the word. We don't spout off knowledge. That's not the point. I think holding fast the deep truths of scripture is a much different thing than being able to pull out all sorts of different commentary. Well, what this means is this. Yeah, what I heard is that this word would be... There's a time and a place for that. But that's not really what the leaders of God need to be equipped with. They need to hold fast the mystery of godliness. What does it mean to be part of the people of God? You know, there's a sense of awe there and a sense of wonder, not a sense of information and a sense of, superiority. Does that make sense? <coughs> Alright, so as a summary of this little paragraph, a person's ability to lead or care for the flock is based in past performance. You can look at their life, the fruit of their life, I think as JP prayed, you'll know them by their fruit. And the fruit of their life is it manifests itself in a lot of these things uh, from the list of qualifications. How he relates to his boss, wife, kids, and others in general must be considered. He also must be even-tempered with a kind and giving spirit and not be in it for personal gain. Additionally, he must know and follow the deep truths of the Bible. He must be able to teach these deep truths to others. Uh, so this is an overall description of the kind of people who can go on to care for the flock of God. And then I think maybe the most important part in this is that <clears throat> this level of ministry in reality should not be called leadership, but intermediate Christianity. Right? To be growing in God is to become more responsible. That was the calling of mankind, Right? Take dominion. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. That's what we should be doing as humans. And we've been shaped by the world, which says that our life is about me, my fulfillment, my happiness, my, um, my gain, my possessions, building myself up. And we're empty to that. We're crucified to that life. And we are, as we talk about in Romans... We're brought into the kingdom. We're brought in in Christ. And the kind of life we live now is the, the kind of life that is fruitful and multiplies and fills the earth and subdues it. And so that involves responsibility. That involves oversight. That involves leadership and authority. That's who we are as men. Um, so it's not that some men are leaders and some men aren't. Right. There are innate abilities at different levels, at different capacities, but if you are a man, this is this is you are called to lead something, someone. <laughs> that's just part of who you are. Um, and so, don't ever think that I'm just not the leader type. That's I think that's the big, the big thing I'm trying to say. As men, as born again born again after the likeness of Christ patterned in his image we are leaders but we are leaders who sacrifice ourselves right? that's, the, that's the Christ component that's how he came to show us how to lead um, that's why the mystery of marriage is so profound to us he laid down his life for his wife in a very real way and it, it cost him everything and that's what we're called to be to the body of Christ. To his, it's his bride. And we're called to lay down our lives um, for her. <clears throat> All right. Well, any uh, anything you guys want to say or ask? This the, so the last section here talks about self, self qualification. You know, I think examining, examining yourself in light of these things. <coughs> um, I think over the next few weeks it'd be good to kind of examine our lives. Um, we're all at different places, you know, in the, in the process of growing into leadership, and um, so there's not. We all fit into it. I think if we were to evaluate ourselves in light of these things, um, be really valuable. Where am I? Some of us, you know, There's, let's see. One home group leader. Um, I'm trying to think.
1: One assistant.
0: Yeah. An assistant. Assistant. You guys have been assistants for differing amounts of time. You know, Joseph, you can evaluate yourself along these lines in, in one way, and JP in a, in a different way. But everyone, I think, should should take this and, and consider yourself. You know, and maybe talk to a close friend. Say, where where am I on this stuff? You're not again. Not that these are like boxes to check off or something to um, necessarily set out to. All right, I'm going to go do this list so I can be a leader. Um, but we should we should evaluate ourselves and and say what where do I not line up with this and why is that you know, why is that is it because I've been trying to do this from a sense of well this is the next thing to do and there's pressure on me to do this and I've been around here too long to not be doing this and so I better do it you know what are think about are what are there constraints are there are there Things in my life. Or are there. Um, have I been doing it. For some sort of kickback. Uh, or any of these things. I, I think just prayerfully. Thinking through this stuff. Um, take a few weeks. I think it's good to hear. I like, haven't heard this in like, forever. But I haven't. I not been through this book in. I don't know how long. And uh, hearing like. It, how how you, how do you represent yourself in church and then at your job? Yeah. So yeah, that's like, I mean, I feel like I'm doing good, but I'm probably not doing good. So just that, that's good to
2: hear that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that really stands out to me in right that last little section there is this is. Serving without reward can only come from knowing God. You know, in the, <clears throat> yeah. the church values list is yeah. knowing God. The second is knowing God as Father. And <clears throat> it talks about serving without reward. One thing that will really quickly teach you how to serve without reward is to be a father. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so God is, God has set that example, and he's modeling that for us. So, like, in that one sentence, there's so much woven into that so much meaning and those of us that are dads have kids you sort of have that thrust upon you so even whether you like it or not you start to sort of realize like i've got to serve with no reward yeah you don't get a reward for getting my feed a baby or to go to the er or any of those things Um, but the type of servanthood that it's actually talking about is a fatherhood i remember one of chad's teaching was the, the spiritual fatherhood which is something yeah. the single guys in the room yeah all can go embrace yeah. and experience so the fatherhood that you know <coughs> he's talking about is less the kind that we all experience which is a good learning platform but if the one that we're called to is the one that you guys are called to yeah which is spiritual fatherhood <coughs> Yeah. yeah. All those examples that you learn as a dad is what this is.
3: Yeah. Um, One thought that I had just as you were encouraging us to examine ourselves is um, leadership in the church, like there's a variety of roles and capacities and everything. I think what you have been emphasizing most is like centered upon the home.
0: Yeah.
3: And uh, uh, the work of a home group is really simple. It's like really not at all. Um, and uh, I think that the, this book is really, this chapter is really good because of the detail that it goes into and like motivation mm-hmm. and really deep character. Um, and uh, I'm not saying don't evaluate yourself along those lines or, yeah. or with or with that. But when I think about um, the work that I have, the responsibility that I have as a home group leader, um, I think about it as uh, like a not even really a shepherd. You know, like the work of a shepherd mm-hmm. is really straightforward. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously, people are way more complex than uh, the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Um, but like, it, as you as you look at yourself and examine yourself, I think the, some of the big questions you should be asking are: Do I think about the members of my home group? Right. You know, like, do I open my life to them? Yeah. Do I share my I aware of what's going on in their life? Do I pray for them? Yeah. Walk with them, you know. Um, and those are really straightforward. Do I orient my life around? Yeah. You know, like does my day follow a pattern that is shaped by? Yeah. You know, like a shepherd, mm-hmm. you know, considering that caring for them. Yeah. And um, so I just wanted to say that I think it, it can be really easy to fall into the deep, really deep. Um, you know, like pondering, or at least yeah. it is for me, yeah, to fall into the really deep pondering, which is not wrong or bad and is necessary sometimes. But I think also that for me it's helpful to have a really high level, yeah, a really practical yeah. thing of okay, well if I'm not even doing that, or if I've gotten away from that, I don't need to consider motivation because I'm not even doing <laughs> I'm not even doing the right things out of a bad motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is something you
2: shared to me either a week or two weeks ago that really powerfully just piggybacks on what you're saying and really affected me powerfully. Because so we're talking about just home group type stuff and like, you know, what is the discussion and what's sort of there. And, you know, I'm um, into more smaller groups that you can really get into. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, but you really want to go speak to the individual people in the room. You know, that's yeah. the goal. And I was thinking about like you as like a reason. And Sit and sort of get lost in their thoughts, and I remember Ben specifically. It's like, and the only way you can do that is just by praying for him. You just got to pray for every individual. You know, it's only through prayer that you yeah. ever really have that voice. And that really, if I'm humble and honest, that is a departure from my own, mm. because I am leaning on my own understanding. Mm. A lot of times. I am leaning on analyzing Annabelle, analyzing Mark Rose, analyzing Mark Young. Know, and it doesn't mean I don't pray for my children, but I just I've really just since then been trying to just actually willfully not even go there Yeah. because I am inclined to that. I'm inclined to think mm-hmm. about like, where am I at? Where's this person at? Where they at, you know? And just say like, just empty my thoughts of that and just try to pray yeah. you know, for them. And that's the high level stuff. It's
1: like, so
0: it's, it's like solutions focused mm-hmm. rather than spirit focused. The solutions might be good, but the whole point is to to have your heart speak to someone else's heart. You know.
1: I think that's something that, like, I I encounter some. You were talking at the beginning. It really kind of like just this morning really struck me really um, about the idea of giving, like, sending somebody out. is like the hardest thing like to do. It's like I, I'm. I work at a job that I've worked at for almost 17 years. When I started, it was me and the owner. That's it. And so we did everything. And then as you grow, you have to let go of things yeah to become good again because you're doing too much. Yeah. But it is by far the hardest thing to do is to trust somebody else that they're going to care for it the way you care for it, even yeah. if at that point you're not doing a good job with it because yeah. you've got too much on the plate. Yeah. You still have like in your mind that you care for it. Yeah. More. And so once you do and we've got these kind of rules that we think about like if someone can do it 70 percent as good as you could do it and like give it to them like get it out you know, just give it away as best yeah as you can. because you can stay focused on high level but what i appreciate about the overseers of our body is how well you guys um, look out for us and you do watch for danger for us and you feed us with teaching and encouragement and um watching you know i, I can think of about like 25 examples of it my head right now of times I've seen you know a Zach Sweeney like step in and just like say something at the right time to a stranger he doesn't know yet and like that's my little brother that he doesn't know or yeah. whatever you know yeah. just like man like just being willing yeah. to kind of like oversee those things and be, and be leading in the direction that we want to go and at the same time I sh- I'm like man that's awesome and I like have that kind of like desire that it talks about like oh it's a good thing to desire it. Yeah, but then I'm also like keenly aware of the fact that like I try to transfer some of what I do at work into like that type of leadership and it's not the same thing right. at work I really do I, I am the source material for a lot of this right? <laughs> yeah. and in this, like you're not the source material yeah. but like my yeah. modes and like the in focused like, yeah. thought process and solutions are not helpful yeah. they're, they're a distraction or can be a distraction occasionally I might get it right by accident or because of some knowledge of the, of the work but like praying for people and kind of like Taking a back seat and taking the like, overseer thought process of like, I'm protecting them and I'm trying to help feed them. I'm not trying to tell them every decision they make, or I'm not trying to like give them the grant version of how something yeah. supposed to go. It's, it's, that's been like something that's like constantly on my mind. So I never feel like I'm ready to do this one. I, I can already tell you, I did self evaluation some of this recently. I got a long way to go. So I appreciate yeah. you saying what you just said about don't necessarily get all the way down in the weeds you have to be 100% of all of these before you're ever allowed to do anything, no, anything. No, no, no. it yeah. feel, can feel that way yeah. when you read it. So I wanted to say all of that to get to That's good. thank okay. you to remember that your goal is to give your life for people and to be working through those things yourself and progressing in those areas but yeah. you don't have to be in 100%
3: on in all of them before
1: well no
0: because I'm sitting here teaching this and I'm like huh. <laughs> 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 I gotta go brush up on that one
3: though. gosh
0: yeah, I mean, it's, it's what we strive for. I mean, what, we're, what we're describing here is the character of Jesus. And we are being transformed into his image more and more, from one degree of glory to the next. This is a life, lifelong process. And, um, yeah, so definitely, this is not a perfectionism. It's not a Phariseeism. It's not, a, it's not a, uh, an, elite, an elitism of, of
2: some kind of club. Um, It's perfectly captured in that one phrase that's in here, which says knowing God will lead you to want to go do these things. Doing these things will lead you to a deeper knowledge of knowing God. Yeah, because that's the thing. You can't get all the way to know God and then do these things. You begin to know God. You begin to become aware of who He is in His heart. And then that calls you to things. And then doing those things makes you have a deeper knowledge of Him.
0: Yeah, you get into that situation. You go, I... God help me! I don't know what to do here. You know, this is something I've never felt before. <laughs> like, uh, this person doesn't want to hear what I'm saying. How do How do you do this? <laughs> uh, I thought I delivered it just perfectly, and they just were going. You know, what do I do now? You know. Yeah, it's it's a great meeting place. I mean, just meet God so deeply in all this stuff. Amen. Anything else to share before we head out? I know it's wedding day. We probably got to, at least I need to go get get some thoughts together for the wedding. All right, well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that you yourself uh, love us in the, in the way that this is describing. You've led us and shepherded us uh, in this way. You haven't respect it, it, um, <clears throat> expected any repayment for us. Uh, Lord, you have not been constrained by some other motive uh, to love us, but you have selflessly uh, pursued us, you've selflessly given your life for us, and you have patiently waited for us to uh, to respond and to grasp uh, what you've been doing for us. And so Lord, I pray that we would be captured in these days with the way that you love us and, and shepherd us, uh, most of all, we'd see it clearly we would understand um, the ways that we've been loved by you directly and also uh, through the lives of others, Lord, the, the leaders that have poured into us, the way that uh, even in imperfect ways, uh, we've, been, uh, we've been brought in to, to a hospitable home, a hospitable life, and we've been welcomed in and we've been taught the word we've been led to green pastures uh, by by the faithful men or that have gotten a hold of you in this way. And I just pray that you put you place a holy uh longing and a holy urge to uh, uh to become these kind of men among us, Lord. That we'd see it clearly that it wouldn't be a <clears throat> any sort of uh, tainted by the flesh or uh, by status or anything like that. We just have a pure longing to be mature men and and mature shepherds alongside you. Lord, thank you that you are the chief shepherd and that uh, no sheep goes unseen by you. No situation goes unseen or ignored by you. Uh, But you love us faithfully. You you prepare us, Lord. Uh, You protect us. You provide for us. And uh, we just give you honor and glory for that help us to to be more like you and i do pray lord that as ben was saying that we wouldn't get lost in introspection here uh, lord that we'd see clearly the work that you called us to do and that we'd also see clearly the things in us uh that hinder us from that and that we'd be able to simply see it and turn from it and ask you for help and receive the help that you pour out uh, so abundantly that we live in your grace in that way lord Uh, Meet us each where we are and take us the next step, Jesus, Uh, for your glory and for the sake of your church.
3: In your name, Amen. amen.